Welcome to the Family Worship Center podcast. Each week we bring you our message from our Sunday morning services at Family Worship Center in Beaumont. We hope you find this message encouraging. If you have your Bibles tonight, you will turn with me to Luke Gospel chapter 5. Luke's Gospel chapter 5. And I did not send an outline for Zach. So we're just going to, guess what? We're going to do it like the old days and just look at the Bible. So bring, get your phone out if you got a Bible on your phone. If you don't have one, I'd recommend Blue Letter Bible. It's a very good one. Just don't do word studies tonight while we're in here. Because <laughs> it, it is a very powerful uh, 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 website there. You can download an app for it. It's got Bible readings in there. It's just a good deal. But Luke's Gospel, chapter 5, and beginning in verse 1. One day as Jesus was preaching on the shore, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the Word of God. People are hungry for the real Word of God. Amen? Somehow it touches our hearts and our, our souls like nothing else. And he noticed two empty boats by the water's edge, For the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. So we assume they've been out all night. It's mid-morning probably. They've come in. They're washing their nets. They're just kind of tending to things and getting it ready for the next night. And he said, stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, talking about Simon Peter, its owner, to push out into the water. And so he sat in the boat, and he taught the crowds from there. Now, one of the things that we miss in this day and time that Jesus knew, and that was that uh, sound carries better if it's kind of going up. And so he basically had an amphitheater just built in right there. So, hey, Peter, push out from the shore a little bit. He's teaching the people. They're on the shore. Most of the Sea of Galilee has uh, uh, banks that come up pretty sharply. And so they're all on the shore, and he pushes out there, so the sound's carrying across the water and up. And unless you have ever been in a place that was built like that, whenever I had the opportunity to go to Turkey a few years ago, uh, several years ago now, one of the things that amazed me was the amphitheaters that they had built back in before the first century. And in Ephesus, there was a 20,000-seat amphitheater. Yes, I said 20,000. It was huge. And if you stood in the spot where you were supposed to stand, you could talk this loud, and it would absolutely sound like you had a megaphone. Anybody in there could have heard you. It wouldn't have mattered if there was 20,000 people to absorb the sound. It, it was just so absolutely astounding. And so, you know, Jesus says, hey, let's take advantage of the terrain here. He's got his built-in amphitheater. He pushes, has Peter push out from the shore, and he's teaching from there. Verse 4, and when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, now go out where it's deeper. Well, thank you, Caitlin. <laughs> Quick on the draw. Go out where it's deeper and let down your nets for some fish. 
And so the night's already over. Most of the time they'd fish at night. So this is, the time's already passed. You don't go out there in the middle of the day, which it probably is getting pretty close now, and try to fish. Of a night was when the fishermen worked. It was a little cooler. It was a whole lot of things working in their advantage to work at night. So here he is, mid-morning, push out there. Okay, now go a little further. Go out there where it's deeper and let down your nets. And so Simon said, Master, we worked hard all last night. We didn't bring in anything. We didn't catch a stinking fish. But now, at your word, the New King James says, nevertheless, at your word. I'll let down. Uh, this is the only time I've got a real discrepancy with the New Living Translation. I'll let down a net is actually what it says there. Jesus said, let down your nets. And Peter said, okay, Lord, we worked all last night, but I'll let down a net just to, just, you know, in parentheses, just to prove you wrong. So we're going to look at this tonight. And let's pray first. Lord, thank you for your presence tonight. Thank you for the worship that we've had and your presence that we have felt here. And we just ask you to, to continue to work in our hearts and in our minds. Lord, that you would let this word come alive in us. And Lord, that we would uh, take it home with us. Lord, that it wouldn't just be for a setting right now that we would take it home and that we would look at it later. That we'd look at it tomorrow maybe. And Lord, we just thank you for all you do. In Jesus' name, amen. So let down your nets for a catch. Let down your net for something that you weren't really expecting to happen. And we know the story. He pushes out there, and he lets down the net, and he absolutely brings in a catch that, that can't, starts ripping the net. That's why it's important to catch that Jesus said, let down your nets, and Peter let down a net. So he began to break the net, and what did they have to do? They had to holler for their, their friends, the other boat that was there, hey, come out here and help us. And it was like enough to fill up all of them, all the boats. And so the thing that I want us to look at tonight is that God is always looking to use somebody else's stuff. Whose stuff? Our stuff. Here is this situation where Jesus is walking along, he's beginning to teach, he realizes the people are pressing in on him and he needs a way to reach them all. So he says, hey, Peter, can I borrow your boat? And we read that and we say, oh, yes, oh, yes, yes, yes. Jesus, use my boat. Jesus, take the wheel. But sometimes it's not that cut and dried. Sometimes it's not that clear cut. Number one, who's wanting to use it? And number two, why? And sometimes we get what I've called sticky fingers. I say, well, this is my stuff. You want to borrow my boat? You making a payment on that boat? And we miss an opportunity for the Lord to, to do something, not only in us, not only that we're going to get to hear him teach the word, but that we get to be a part of the miracle that's happening. See, really and truly, if you take the wrong perspective, if you were, okay, we'll just, we'll say, if you took the atheist approach, there is no God and, 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 and we, we're reading history here and not just the living word. 
We're just an atheist and we're reading the word. And here comes this guy and he wants to borrow somebody else's stuff to accomplish what he's wanting to do. And then he tries to sink the boat with too many fish. Amen? If you were taking that approach, your, your perspective would be wrong, but that's the way you would see it. But, I mean, ultimately, it comes down, if you start in the beginning of this Bible and then you begin to, to just look at the times whenever God wanted to borrow somebody's stuff. I mean, it begins very, very, very early. God wanted to use somebody else's stuff to accomplish his will. Moses, I mean, he used Moses' staff how many times? Turned it into a snake. Turn, you know, goodness gracious, parted the waters with it. I mean, you, you just countless numbers of times that he took that stick that Moses had in his hands and began to do stuff with it. You began to move on up through time, and, and you look at, here was Shamgar. Shamgar was, uh, how many of you just, that, that was already on your mind for today? Shamgar. I hope he talks about Shamgar tonight. First Wednesday's going to be good if he'll mention Shamgar. Shemgar was one of the judges, and, and when God called him, he was out in the field plowing, and he had an ox goad, which was just basically a, a, a stick with a sharp end on it. And, and they'd kind of whip on that hind quarter of that ox to get him to go a little faster. And he took, that, took Shemgar's ox goad with Shemgar behind it and managed to whoop the Philistines just mercilessly. Uh, you look at what he did through Samson, took the jawbone of a donkey and and unmercilessly whooped up on them philistines because they were against god's people i mean you you just began to start counting up all the times whenever he used somebody else's stuff to accomplish his will then then you move on up to the time whenever um whenever uh david came along he took david's harp and, and did some awesome stuff through it lots of the psalms written by david uh, then, then David had the sling. Can't, can't leave that one out. Used it to kill Goliath. Then David's sword. David, David got a lot of stuff borrowed there. Then, then um, you, you move up into the New Testament. He took Paul's expertise of the word, the law that Paul knew inside and out. And, and then he took a little boy's two-piece fish dinner and, and, and an extra hush puppy and, and fed thousands with it. Y'all have heard me talk about that one often. Uh, then, then he did it again another time. And then, and then uh, uh, Dorcas, he used Dorcas' ability to sow to bless hundreds of people. And then when she died, when, when Paul comes into town, he said, oh, my goodness, you have just come in on a bad day. Dorcas has died. And bless her heart, we never did like her name. <laughs> Amen. Praise God they don't use that name anymore. And... Uh, now, whenever he says, Tabitha, arise, Tabitha got to be used, but Dorcas, I know why. I mean, it's just a bad name. Who'd want to be named Dorcas? <laughs> You're a real Dorcas. <laughs> so then he took the widow's mite and did some awesome things with that. And then uh, he took somebody's donkey that had never even been ridden. It was tied up in the field waiting to be trained, and he took it and rode into Jerusalem on it. So, again, if you take the wrong perspective, you say, well, God's a mooch. I mean, here he, I mean, he's wimpy. I'll gladly pay you tomorrow for a hamburger today, borrowing somebody else's stuff to accomplish his will. But here's the thing. It's the wrong perspective. 
The right perspective is, you know what? It all belongs to him anyway. We're like little kids. The gimme, 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 gimme's. And sometimes we get so selfish and so caught up in our own stuff that we're unwilling to say, yeah, God, it belongs to you anyway. Here, borrow it. Do, do something with this, this stick with a sharp end on it. Just blow me away. I mean, this thing, thousands of years later, we're still talking about that sharp stick. And it comes down to this, that the right perspective is it belongs to him, and, and, and we need to get rid of our sticky fingers. We need to get rid of our selfishness. I mean, it reminds me, every time I talk about something like this, uh, I've told this before, so some of you may remember it. But this is one of those things, you know, that's indelibly written in my mind. Uh, back in uh, years ago, when you'd walk into Cracker Barrel, they'd bring first thing they do is bring your glass of water that they hardly ever do anymore, and then they bring a plate of biscuits or cornbread immediately. You didn't have to order anything to get it. That was part of the welcome to Cracker Barrel. And I'll never forget sitting there with two guys. We walked in, all three of us together, and. So they brought out the water, and they brought out the plate of biscuits and, and cornbread, and one guy licked his finger, and he said, mine, 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 mine. Now, how many of you know people like that? <laughs> so he licks his finger, mine, 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 mine. So the other two of us are just sitting there, and uh, that other guy kind of got a look on his face, and he licked his finger, and he said, yours, 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 yours. Guess what? Nobody ate that plate of biscuits or cornbread, either one. So <laughs> sometimes we get really selfish, though. We're like a bunch of little kids that it's, my, it's mine. And we're not willing to turn loose of it. And, and here's the thing that I want us to get if we don't get anything else tonight. And that is that there's always a payoff for letting God use your stuff. Every one of those people got to see a miracle that they had no idea it was fixing to happen. They had no idea how it was going to happen. They got to see something happen with something common. God took something very, very ordinary, a stick, a sharp stick, a, 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 a leather sling. I mean, all these things are just common, everyday items, and God took something very ordinary and made something extraordinary with it. And those people, because they were willing to give it up, okay, God, here it is, take my stuff, they get to see a miracle that they never thought that they'd see happen. So God is always requesting to use our stuff. The problem is, is are we willing to let him use our stuff? Are we willing to, to just hands off, step aside, okay, Lord, show us what you got? Because I know it's going to be awesome. So, the first thing we got to do is let, let God in on our stuff, and he's always wanting to borrow it. The second thing is we got to be ready to go out a little further, a little deeper. God's never satisfied to leave us where we're at. That's part of our call is to continue. If you look at it, you, you, you can almost make like a, one of those circles, you know, like they used to do in the in the group marketing things you know draw all the circles and this is your circle and these are the people that are associated but if you look at every time God was involved in somebody's life the the challenge was go one step further 
You've heard me talk about Pete, Jim, and Johnny. They were there for everything. Go, go on further with me. They were the ones that even in the Garden of Gethsemane that he said, come and go a little further with me. Would you pray with me? For the rest of those 12 disciples, it was get to be in that inner circle. For the, the hundreds that were, that were following, come on and get into to this and be a disciple. Come and see was his plea to those that were outside those circles. Come and see. And then see and believe. Because here's the thing. If you see what God's doing, if you see the miracles of the Lord, you're going to believe. But he didn't go to those people that were outside all those circles and say, you better believe, you stinker. Come and see. Come and see. Then you'll see and believe, and then when you believe, you'll become what it is that God wants you to be. So he's always and continually calling us to go deeper, to go further, to, to push out there where it's a little bit further. Maybe where it's not even, maybe we don't even feel safe. See, here's the thing. The deep water represents fear. You ever seen one of those old-timey maps where, like on the edges, they draw a sea monster? That's because it was deep, and they were afraid. And sometimes in our own minds, we don't necessarily think of a sea monster, but the further we go, number one, we're a whole lot further from shore. He had already pushed out a little ways from shore, but Jesus said, go a little further. You mean this far? No, no, no. I mean a little further yet. This far? Because it's a long way back to the shore. No, no, no. Maybe even a little deeper than that. Gosh, are we prepared to do that? Are we ready to go out there? Because ultimately, all of us have a point where we kind of, enough is enough. Because see, here's the thing. I'm, I'm kind of hungry, and I forgot my wallet today. So who'd, who'd give me $5 to go get some supper? Just give me $5 to go get some supper afterward. Oh, three people, gosh. This won't take long for this experiment. So about three people said, yeah, they'd give me. <laughs> so, okay, I'd like to eat something other than uh, just a regular cheeseburger at McDonald's. Uh, who'll give me $10? okay. Well, I, I'd like to, now that I think about it, I'm really hungry. I'd like to go eat a steak or something somewhere. Who, who'll give me 20, $25 to go eat supper on? 50 $75. Cause I'd get a really nice steak. I mean, I'd get a filet for that one. So, <laughs> So see, ultimately, I know you guys love me, and I love you too. But everybody's got a point where they say, nah, I think I'm quitting right there. <laughs> and again, I know you love me, and I know that I love you. But yet there's a certain point where, where basically it's a choking point. This is how far I'm willing to go. Oh, I'll gladly give you $5 to go, to go get a cheeseburger. $100? Eh. Even my own wife wouldn't give me that much to go eat on. And she, you heard her. She was the first one that was vocal. But no. <laughs> so where is your choking point with God? 
Can I borrow your boat and just push out a little bit from the shore? Let me speak from it. Sure. How about, how about you go out a little deeper? Okay, I've been there a time or two. I can handle that. We'll go out there a little bit deeper. All right, go a little more. I've never been this far before. Well, how about go one more? Just, just one more. Ooh. We start getting that shaky feeling inside. Somewhere down the line, if the Lord keeps asking to borrow our stuff, there's a point where we begin to choke. And my challenge is this. Choke your choking point. Figure out where your choking point is with God. Is it going and witnessing to people? Oh, Lord, I'll, I'll go where you want me to go, dear Lord, or mountain or plain or sea. But don't ask me to teach or preach or sing, and I'll be what you want me to be. Amen? See, we, we have this list of choke points where God's concerned. And, and I've, I've shared with you all many, many times, when, when I, in myself, I am so absolutely, painfully shy. You may say, I don't see that, and that's just because the Lord's called me to preach 20, well, 30 years ago now, <laughs> close to 30, and I've gotten over it. But when I first got saved, uh, some of you have heard me tell this before. The little church that we, we went to at that time had two rows, and you could maybe get 45 people in that church before it got too crowded. I mean, little bitty pews, and Angie and I sat on that pew, the second pew, all the way to that side because that's where I wanted to sit. And I would not sing in the congregation because I was afraid somebody would hear me sing and make fun of me. I, that's not talking about a special. That's talking about me singing congregational worship. I wouldn't sing because I was afraid somebody would hear me and make fun of me. And I'll never forget, I prayed one time. Angie was out of town. And she'd gone on a ladies' trip of some sort. And so it was all, mainly all the men left in the church few elderly women and the pastor gets up there and he's he always led the worship in in this particular church we were in then and uh, I had prayed just the night before I said God I, I feel like you're wanting to do something with me and I don't know what it is got no idea don't know what you could do with somebody like me but Lord would you use me I didn't feel goosebumps. The hair on the back of my neck didn't stand up. I didn't, you know, like the power blinked or anything like that. I just prayed a prayer. Next morning, pastor's leading the worship. And his voice just goes away. He was a, a big guy, and he talked like this and sang like this. and I mean, he's just up there, and his voice just goes away. And he said, somebody's going to have to finish leading worship. Amen, brother. Somebody is going to have to do that. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm in my seat over here. Amen, brother. Somebody's got to do that. And nobody moves. Oh, 
You heard the guy. Somebody needs to do something here. And I mean, I know it, it probably was not more than a few seconds, but it seemed like a, a lifetime. And nobody's moving. And nobody's doing anything. I mean, it's like one of those Twilight Zone features, you know. I mean, it's, it's just like, is somebody not going to do what the guy said? I will. And you have no idea what that took. And I'm sure it wasn't good. But you know what? It freed me. That, put, that one stepping out freed me up so much. Because as you can tell, I still don't sing very good. But I don't care what anybody thinks anymore <laughs> about that. And I don't care for witnessing to somebody because ultimately their soul is in danger of hell. And so we've, we've got to realize that it, it's all about God wanting to use us and that we've got to take that step out. We've got to go that one step further. We've got to go out there where we might not be comfortable and we might have a fear about where we're headed. But you know what? If he's the one that puts you in the boat and he's in the boat... You ain't got to worry about it. It's all going to happen in his time. And, and so we, we've got to see that he has, has got a, a, a plan and a purpose. So whatever your choking point is, and I don't know what your choking point is. Maybe it is witnessing. Maybe it is singing. Maybe it is uh, just talking to people. Maybe it's giving. Whatever it is, whatever your choking point is, choke out your choking point. Number three, one thing about it is you can certainly say he's not bashful anymore because <laughs> he won't shut up when it's time to shut up. Number three, you got to keep your expector up because sometimes we let life beat the expectation plumb out of us. Sometimes we're not even hoping for hope. And see, he said, go and let your nets out. And Peter lets a net out. That's not having your expector up. He's able to do abundantly and above anything that we can ask or think. We talked about it a while ago. So if he says, let down nets, you better think about how many nets do I have. Because he's fixing to fill them up. <laughs> I don't care if we did fish all night. And so... <laughs> it, it's about keeping our expector up. In fact, is I was even as I was pondering this this afternoon for a few minutes, I thought about one time since we've been talking about Elijah and Elisha on Sunday mornings. I was thinking about Elisha, and it's in it's in First uh, Kings, Second uh, Kings, chapter four. And you don't have to turn there. I'm just going to read you this portion of scripture. Elisha, if you remember, it was the Shunammite woman. And she and her husband had a house, and Elisha would come by preaching the word and, and, and doing his prophet, prophet office thing, you know. And so they liked him. And they fixed, she fixed a room for him. So whenever he was traveling and he had a minute that he was going to stay close by, you just stay in my house. She fixed him a room. Can you imagine that? Fixing somebody that's not even part of your family or anything. Here's a room. Whenever you're coming by, you can stop and stay in. And 
she does this for a long time. And Elisha asked his, his helper, Gehazi, what can I do for her? I've, I've racked my brain. I've been thinking about it. What, what can I do for her? And so Gehazi said, well, she, she doesn't have a son, and her husband's an old man. In other words, probably not likely that it's liable to happen. So he goes to her, and he says, call, call her here. And so when she had to come in there, Elisha said to her, as she stood in the doorway, next, next year at this time, you're going to be holding a son in your arms. And look at what her answer was. No, my Lord. Don't deceive me. Because I've had my expector way out there. And it ain't happened. I've been hoping and hoping and hoping and hoping. And my hopes wore out. My expector's broken. Don't deceive me. Don't get my hopes up like that. And I thought, my gosh, what does it, what happens inside of us? that we can't even hope anymore. Put your expector out. Put it up there where it belongs. Let God be God. Amen? Because we can't figure it out. And sometimes we just need him to come in. Didn't mean to get all emotional there. So here's the thing, final thing, closing with this. And that means 15 minutes from now, it'll be over. <laughs> no, you all know I like to, uh, when I say I'm landing a plane, the plane's headed into the runway. The only thing that God's waiting on to do that is us. Here's my stuff. I got a sharp stick. I got a leather sling. I got a rock in my pocket and <laughs> whatever else it is that we can hold up to him. God, it doesn't seem to be extraordinary to me. But maybe it is in your eyes. Here I am, a, a simple country boy or a simple country girl. And God, I don't see that I could be extraordinary, but maybe you see something. Here's my stuff. God, would you use it? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, this has been on my heart. We're just common, everyday folk. I remember reading one time about a guy that said the, the reporter was interviewing and he said, how many famous people are born, have been born here? And he, the, the mayor said, absolutely none. Just common babies are born here. But God, you have gone on to make some people extraordinary. So would you take us as common, everyday folk and just accomplish something mighty, something wonderful, something great? 
Because, God, you got a plan, and this is a day and a time when it's needed more than ever. So, Lord, would you do something just extraordinary with us and through us and in us? Let us be a light that shines in that darkness. Let us be something, not because we're something, but because you're something in us. So, Lord, as we surrender everything, as I said, a sharp stick, a uh, maybe a, 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 a slingshot, whatever it is. Lord, would you let it become something in our eyes so that we can accomplish what you're wanting to do in this day and in this time. Thank you for using us. Thank you for loving us that much. And so, Lord, we just surrender it all right now. And we thank you for being patient and kind and loving to us. In Jesus' name.